So hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Joel Harrison. I'm Editor-in-Chief of B2B Marketing. Um, and this is a regular series of interviews that we're doing with interesting senior marketers who are at the top of their game, talking about some of the things which are important and relevant to them. Now, um, this is going to be available for quite a while, but we're doing it in the um, in the build-up to our 2020 B2B Marketing ABM conference, which has been running for about six years now and has become... I believe one of the best ABM conferences in the world, if not the best, um, certainly the biggest one outside the, outside the US. And I'm really delighted to be joined today by Mark Lywood, who's Head of Strategic Customer Marketing at, a- at ABM at O2. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Joel. Delighted to be here. It's fantastic you could take the time for this. Um, just to, a, a note back on the conference again, as I say, it's happening on the 2020, the November the 4th and the 5th, um, and there are some free registrations available. So we'd love you to come along and hear what Mark and various other senior marketers got to say about ABM, um, about their experiences um, and how to how to do it right, essentially. That's the crux of it. So what I want to do, the aim of today, Mark's agreed to give up his time to talk a little bit about his background, his experience generally, and then specifically about ABM and how he sees it going, how O2 are using it. Um, O2 have been one of the B2B brands which are very progressive generally, but they've also been quite advanced or progressive in their use of O2 over the years. One of the first people to get on board with that. And I'm looking at Mark's CV, I can say that he's also been at other organisations in the past who've been who've probably early to jump on on board the kind of great ABM bandwagon. So looking forward to digging into that with him. So, Mark, to start off with, tell us a bit about your background. When did you become a marketer? Was it something that you always wanted to do? Was it something you kind of stumbled into? Because not all marketers wake up, you know, are, are have marketing as an aspirational career they always want to do uh, uh, throughout their lives. So, so how did it work for you? Well, no, for me, I think, you know, growing up, I wanted to be loads of things, right? I wanted to be a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, just like every other child or a train driver or something. And, I, you know, I don't really ever remember it being, you know, I, I want to be a B2B marketer, but I'm pretty happy that's where I ended up. You know, I think, you know, from a from a very early age, I was I was really fascinated with TV adverts, you know, more so than the programmes themselves, right? I'd sit and watch the adverts rather than TV programmes, which maybe says something about 1980s children's TV. But anyway, um, you know, I and you know, when I went to university, I studied business and languages. So at that point, I didn't want to necessarily go into marketing. But I guess I realised quite quickly that I enjoyed marketing more than economics. I enjoyed kind of behavioural science and psychology and those sorts of things more than I did statistics and, and, and the like. So when I left university, I, I went to find a, a job in marketing. I, I joined a small tech firm um, and I kind of fell into B2B. But, you know, I think I had these intentions of going and finding some grand B2C job, but that didn't quite happen. But frankly, I think I'm in the best place. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than in B2B marketing. And I've been doing that for 20 something years. It sounds like serendipity has been the industry's gain um, and, and your gain as well. But it sounds like you're, you've got a, a pretty good selection of things which qualify you to be a great B2B marketer. And um, it's great to hear people with that kind of statistics experience as well um you know my, from, from my reflecting on what you said from my part my dad was in advertising it was in direct marketing actually in the 80s and so we always have to spend a lot of time of paying attention to the adverts um and uh, and um uh but i think it actually to be it says more about the quality of advertising in the 80s rather as compared to now than it does probably about what you're watching i mean the advertising was great in those days wasn't it, it was all this yeah, no it certainly was yeah so yeah um, definitely 
it's always better in the good old days. Look, listen to us harking back to those days, um, <laughs> like golden golden era. So, but so so today, tell me about about what is it? So you've now you say you've got a, a twenty plus year career in B two B marketing. Um, so so what's kept you in the industry? What is it that ignites your passion, and why why did you end up staying with it um, and kind of growing with it as well? Well, I mean, there's the old cliche that every every day is different, right? But I think you know fundamentally for me, it's that challenge of understanding people. You know, what is it that's making people tick? What's going to encourage them to, you know, want to talk to me, want to talk to our business, want to work with us or buy from us or or, or whatever that, that, that relationship is? Um, you know, I think we've got any a wealth, a myriad of sources of data. Um, and, and, and it's about how we kind of look at that, understand it and, and, and construct conversations, you know, reasons to engage with people in organisations, you know, businesses are basically just you know a collection of of people aren't they and it's about that kind of human connection which you know sort of talked about enjoying psychology more than economics when I was you know at university I think that kind of stands true today really it's that that, that real drive to really understand why people will will react in the way we want them to but you know I, I think that's why I really really like B2B because I think you know particularly at that sort of strategic or major account level you know I I know the names of the people I want to reach you know and I, I, I don't know them personally necessarily, but, you know, I know enough about them to you know, to start constructing programs and activities which can really you know, feel personal to them. You just can't do that in B2C. You know, when you're thinking about groups of a thousand people and thinking about a general persona in, in B2B, it's much more about the individual. And I, and I love that. And that's what kind of keeps me keeps me here, I think. And that segues really nicely onto my next question, which is when did you start doing account-based marketing? And actually looking at your, since writing these questions, I've looked at your, um, you're dug into your LinkedIn profile a bit more. And I can see you spent some time at Fujitsu, who um, were quite- an, Atos. Atos, I beg your pardon, I'm sorry. You spent some time at Atos, who were, um, who, there's a bit of, a bit of cross-fertilization of those marketing teams historically, but Atos <laughs> definitely have um, been a company who've been quite advanced in that area. So was that, um, tell, tell us about your ABM journey. When did it start and, and where did it come from? Yeah, I think, look, I've been probably exercising the, the techniques that would be, what would become ABM for a long time. You say, you know, during my time at Atos, um, you know, this is probably the first time I've had a formal role which has ABM in the title, you know, since I joined O2, which was only a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I think kind of when you work in that very commercially focused B2B business, when you've got a small number of really large accounts, ABM is quite natural. You know, um, you can only really be successful as a, a, as a business selling to other businesses if you understand them at that individual level by looking at those insights. And that's what ABM is all about. I think, you know, when I joined O2, there was a very strong program in place and, and I joined to help take that to the next level and kind of integrate it alongside other programs you know how can we link our abm program with our advocacy program and our vertical marketing programs and create you know a a group of activities which are the value of which is greater than the sum of the parts and all that right um so um i'm sorry i wasn't sure we're going to continue so we can i'm going to get committed to cut these little segments out but were you sure were you going to continue or or, or um I saw you take breath and thought you might want to, you wanted to jump in with a redirect. So go for it. Well, I was going to ask you, I, I, I don't want to cut across you. So, so please, I will, I will, I will take, I will, I will in the future when you, when you're finished, I'll please carry on if you need to. Don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to cut. Okay. Um, um, 
so the next uh, this is a kind of note to Kavita. This is a good place to start from here. You're talking about doing ABM at O2. Um, O2, I find a, a really fascinating brand because they're obviously a mobile network, um, and um, obviously that means that they're by definition they're quite consumer focused. But of all the mobile networks, they were the first to kind of really recognise that it was a distinct B two B audience. Um, so, um, but even then, that's talking to the kind of SME market as much as anything else, the mass market, whereas you're talking, you're the opposite end of the spectrum. You're, as you said before, you're talking to a very discreet number of customers and you're trying to really get under their skin. Does that kind of marketing culture sit comfortably within a kind of a more mass market, ultimately consumer-facing organisation? So I think, you know, when you look at the growth of O2, you know, what the strongest growing part of that is business. And that's one of the strongest growing parts of that is the enterprise level business. So the area that I sit in um, and, you know, I, I don't sit within the overall O2 marketing organization. We're a distinct O2 business brand. You know, the brand we go to market is O2 business as opposed to, you know, O2 as such. Um, and I think the same sort of challenges apply to any number of businesses. Yes, I kind of get that value of having the great brand, but the challenge for us is often showing our customers how we offer more than just mobile. You know, so we are big in you know, connectivity, communication, cybersecurity, all these things. Um, but yes, we have a very strong mobile heritage. And you know, there's, there's the luxury of having a strong brand, but the challenge for us is shifting um, understanding expectations in our bigger customer base and our prospect base, of course, that we are not just here to help them with mobile. We are here to help them with their, their, their complete total comms requirements, really. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, the, so the expectation, oh, you must, O2 must be wonderful, all that huge brand brand presence and brand weight to throw behind things. Actually, it's the the challenge is almost the opposite. It's about actually convincing people about the, the more upscale things that you do and, and and moving on from that perception, which is positive, but not necessarily relevant in all situations. So, um, yeah, interesting challenge. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think, you know, I, I, when I start talking to people about, you know, we are we're from O2, they immediately get what that brand is, right? In the UK anyway. Um, you understand what we do. It's building upon that, which is our challenge. You know, I d people will answer, will we'll pick up the phone if you if you want to speak to them because you're O2. They're not, oh, actually, who are you? What do you do? They've already got a baseline understanding, which is a, is a help. But yeah, it's just changing those perceptions, which is the challenges that we, 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 we struggle with. It's not struggle. We pursue it's certainly different because i mean i think one of the wonderful things about b2b is constantly every time you meet a new marketer you'll be um and we i mean obviously meet a lot of them um they'll talk about working for a brand which you probably never heard of but in its niche in its category it's like super important you know globally recognized sometimes uh, so that's the wonderful thing about b2b these kind of niche brands which which exist uh you know in certain places but not but but, but not universally outside of those so you've got a unique challenge a different spin on that which is which is i've been uh, different different issues to deal with, but different opportunities inherent in it as well. But you talked so you talked about um, the fact that you come on board to um, to take you know, ABM program existed within O2 before you arrived. Your challenge, I believe, you said was just just to kind of take it up to the next level. So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, how long has the program existed for? You told us you're targeting enterprise customers. Um, so uh, you know um, it's, it's it's unusual ABM, I suppose, because for most companies ABM is still quite new. So your most marketers coming in a Often markets coming in starting something, but you're taking something which is already running reasonably well and boosting it up. So how, how's that working? 
Yeah, so look, O2 Business has had a ABM program probably for about five or six years. So well established before I joined and award winning as well. So you know, it was already doing fantastic job. Um, you know, a couple of streams to to what 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 we had been doing and what we're still doing now. One of them is you know program around having a one to one ABM approach. You know, targeting those audiences of one in a classic ABM one to one program. And then alongside that, I've got a series of sort of one to few cluster activities, as we, as we call them, right? Um, and, and in those clusters, you know, we, we're targeting a few similar organizations and we're looking for those kind of commonalities between them to latch onto. Um, and, and those are different programs and they, 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 they um, approach different parts of the market. You know, for the for that for that ABM one to one, which we call our ABM Lighthouse program, you know, we're only targeting a small small handful of accounts. You know, we're not we're not we're talking of you know, half a dozen, ten accounts at any one time, really. And that's where we're working hand in hand with the account teams. So my team is you know daily in in, in contact with our account teams. They're you know, talking directly with customers a lot of the time. And really building, you know, bespoke marketing programs for those individual accounts, you know, leveraging the insight that we're bringing from the industry, from the engagements we're having on the ground, as well as sort of wider, wider sources as well. Um, and the focus of that, and actually for the one to one to many as well, is all around building initiatives that will still feel personal, but in the one to few, it's about ensuring that we can still it's, it's a little bit more scalable and affordable because we can hit multiple organizations with a similar albeit customized message at the same time so you know that, that was relatively successful we're building on that um you know day by day week by week um but, but what i saw was how we, we also had in place you know like a, 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 sorry an executive engagement um, you know, advocacy program, which was targeting similar organizations, but was being sort of addressed as a separate program. And it was really clear to me on coming in that actually the closer those things work together, the part which was targeting, you know, a very small subset of senior execs, you know, dovetailed perfectly into an ABM program, which is much more about growing, you know, reputations and revenues and those sorts of things. So they're kind of symbiotic and it made sense to to, to bring them more closely together. So that's sort of what I've been doing for the last couple of years, really. And that, that plays quite nicely into one of the questions I was going to ask you a bit further down our list. And I hope you don't mind me jumping around a little bit. Uh, um, um, Bev Burgess, who I'm a big fan of, um, as, uh, describes, um, and he's, she's not the only person who says this, um, about that the ABM is kind of just good marketing. And it's in some ways, it's the stuff we should have always been doing forever. We just somehow lost sight of it. Um, and I, and what you're saying, interestingly, is there was this things going, you had this ABM program and this other thing, that advocacy thing, I think you said it was, um, that was actually could qualify as ABM or, or could contribute to ABM, but it wasn't being seen in that context or it wasn't connected up. So do you, do you agree with this notion that you know, some of these things, ABM possibly exists on multi, on different levels in organizations, in, in, in programs that are defined as such and elsewhere, and, and perhaps some of the the ABM, is, ABM manager, leader's job is to tie these things together and go and look for other opportunities and, and, and bring them into the fold or at least see the potential of them and, and, and highlight the potential of them. So I, th- I think I, I agree with that to a to quite, a, quite a, a, a high extent, really. You know, I think, you know, as, as Bev describes ABM, it's just good marketing. And I think that's true. Um, but I do think it's something that a number of businesses, particularly 
you know, the enterprise level, tar- sorry, organizations which are targeting enterprise level organizations have been doing for a long time. What the kind of craze, should we call it, craze for ABM over the last five or six years has brought has just brought a bit of extra structure and it's brought a name to, to what I think a lot of people have been doing for, for a long time. I do think there's been a little bit of a bandwagon as well with a number of, you know, vendors jumping on and trying to badge everything as ABM. I don't, I don't really buy into the fact that uh, that a lot of the tech-driven ABM named um, activities are really true ABM. I think ABM is much more about those one-to-one and one-to-few activities, which can really leverage that insight. I think without that insight, without that real true customization bespoke nature it's hard to really call it abm but i do see that you know abm isn't as unique as we think it is you know it really does play into at least kind of it needs to intersect with other parts of what's going on in the organization whether it's advocacy whether it's your demand gen whether it's your um you know events program the the, the, the closer we can bring all of the aspects of marketing together i think the the more benefit we bring for our organizations but in big organisations, it's really typical for things like that to be to be to be managed in silos. I think about my so my background. I've worked in large companies like Philips and Atos and now O2. I've also worked in small companies, small tech firms, um, also you know payments tech companies as well. And and what you learn there is you just you you just get that ability to look across the piece and see how those things connect a bit more. And I think bringing that into a corporate environment is really, really positive. Yes, you get the frustrations of how you make things happen because you've got to talk to people who are you know, in several different parts of an organization. But if you can sort of bring together the, I guess, I guess I like to see marketing as a bit of glue, right? It's about trying to stick things together to create something which is really compelling. And if you can think outside of your silo, I think we can all be much more successful. I think there's very wise words um, and a very pragmatic perspective about the challenge facing you. Um, and, and, I, and I take your point around, you know, I asked you a question about the kind of ABM being a hot trend and, and you were kind of kind of rightly kind of being a bit circumspect about that. I think it's a completely reasonable thing to do. But is it, would you agree that it's quite helpful to have a badge to put on something and sometimes a new badge because it allows you to convince people to look at things in different ways um, and, and, reimagine what they might have already done um, and possibly acquiesce to things that if you described it as the same old, they might be less willing. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we have the answers to ABM. You know, I, I think the ABM movement has brought fresh ideas. It's brought a structure to how we do things and it's challenged the way that, you know, people like myself have, have been doing marketing for some time. We've, you know, we've brought in new techniques and, um, activities because of the you know the, the great work that the likes of uh, Bev and others have, have done and yourselves as well around you know pushing the um, the boundaries of ABM. Um, I think as long as we're honest about what the one to many stuff really is, and that really is you know good targeted but more loosely targeted activity, you know call it ABM if you like, I, I I think it's difficult to get that really, I don't know, that, that, that real deep depth of understanding about an organisation yeah. in, in that way. I think, yeah, I, I think if, it's important to have that and for that to sit alongside other things you're doing. But I, 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 I struggled. If I was just doing that, I don't think I'd feel comfortable calling it ABM. I mean, you're certainly not alone in that 
from that perspective. Certainly in the UK and the US, it's different because of the dynamics of the market, the size of the market. You know, as a journalist, I love putting things in boxes, and I wish that someone would someone would come along and play God and go, "This thou thou shalt be ABM and thou shalt not be ABM." But um, in the light of that happening, and sadly, we're in the situation. Well, realistically, we're in the situation where people get to define themselves, and you know, yeah. that's, such is life. Um, I want to just dig a little bit deeper into um, your the, the targeted stuff you're talking about, the kind of hyper targeted stuff you're talking about, which is um, so resonant of what a lot of people are doing. Um, you know, and your your quest to continually be more focused and more insightful and, and base your communications on that. Are you? Do you feel there is a point whereby you you, you where your by being targeted can come across as being creepy or um, you know too close? Is that ever is is that something which you come across and where you have to ever pull back from, or is that, or is it just not a, a, a challenge that you've faced? It's a very good question. I think it comes down to how you how you talk about those things. You know, if if there's if there's an implicit understanding of a challenge that a customer is seeing, and you are coming to them with a in the in the spirit of wanting to help them. And you can, they can show that there's been some real thought and consideration to the proposition you're putting in front of them. I can't really think of any examples of where people have thought, felt that was creepy so much. But that's that's a totally fair enough answer. I mean, it's I think I think your point about if you're useful, if you're being useful, and um, this is all about for me. This is the Jay, Jay Bauer was brilliant because he just said, you know, stop selling, start helping. You know, if you're helping people, you give yeah. a solution to what it is they need. I'm not sure they're that bothered about where it's come from, and and you know business people, it's it's different if you're in a consumer realm. So I understand it, but it's just it, I just it's a question I'm is always front of my mind as you as you keep talking about kind of wrapping un, unwrapping layers of the onion of getting deeper and deeper under into people's psyche and we're able to access more and more of their data. So um, yeah, it's I'm, I'm totally fair enough response. I wanted to I think it would be it's almost technically uh, a crime to not talk about COVID and any kind of business related conversation. So have you seen any impact about on, on ABM um, in terms of COVID, in terms of how how you're targeting people, how they're behaving, what the, dare I say, opportunity, because there are opportunities in, inherent within COVID and the transformation that's required and demanded? Or has it been business as usual for your program? So if I can talk about that in the context of not just ABM, you know, I think for, for O2 business, COVID has been incredibly disruptive to other plans that we had you know um and i think that's the same for marketers everywhere there was you know there's that initial kind of knee-jerk reaction in that we were sort of reshaping things on the hoof and working out what still worked what didn't work you know we set up some webinars on how to work from home um, for our customers within four days you know that sort of stuff takes weeks usually but there was a kind of acceptance of taking a little bit of risk on our side and also a, a, a will to make things happen and, 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 and be seen to, well, not just to be seen, to actually help our customers, right? You know, our messaging changed completely away from anything which felt like it was selling to being much more about, you know, empathizing with organizations, the situations they're in and, actually, and really helping them. So I think in the short term, there was, you know, quite a bit of disruption to those sorts of things. You know, I think like many other people, that sort of settled down after after a you know three or four weeks, let's say, and it became much more about well, how does this change our longer term programs, the the views we're taking, and yes, so we've had to change any events that we have into a virtual event, um, and I think a lot of those changes were were forced upon us, but have been really really um, positive and beneficial. You know, we have um, we have a customer advisory board 
you know, it's, it's a dozen or so senior execs, our most important customers. Historically, they would come together twice a year, meet in person, you know, for, for, for dinner, or whatever, have a discussion about you know, where the businesses were going and, and the like. And all of a sudden, that group of people who would meet twice a year have now met six, seven times in the last six months. Um, you know, we were we were three days out from lockdown and we were due to meet um, down in London and we had to switch that to an online meeting, which is incredibly um, worrying. You know, is that going to work? Will people come along? Will they contribute in the same way? And it was amazing. You know, as I say, that's led to six or seven events afterwards, all 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 done remotely. And and the reason that's been successful is everybody's in the same well, they're in the same storm, different boats, but they're all kind of ch- facing the same challenges. You know, very senior executives, you know, willing to 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 share what what they were thinking, share ideas, and and take ideas from each other. And our role in that is really just facilitating that conversation. You know, we're not we're not trying to sell anything at any point in that. We we're, we're just facilitating conversation between peers in a helpful way, and that's been really appreciated by customers. So I think where we've been able to show that kind of empathy, that supportive nature. Um, it's really helped, you know, I think, um, the view our customers have of us. And and I think I can completely echo that sentiment, that journey. And we were we, we did something similar-ish with our with our organize, with our um, many of our customers. Do you have a view about where it might go from here in terms of because the, you know the landscape is continuing to evolve, and you know we we don't know. Obviously, I'm not asking you to predict what's going to happen with COVID. That would be un, unreasonable, um, but. Are you is is this is the kind of have we settled into a or have as O2's Avian program settled into a some kind of stability or do you see that'll have to respond again to perhaps a a new set of circumstances? So I think we're clearer on what has changed, what needs to change um, for whatever scenario kind of develops from here. Um, I think it's important that we take the good things out of those changes that have happened over the last six months. I think, you know, the, the shift to more virtual engagement, the, the greater availability actually of some of our customers and the execs and those customers has been a surprise. You know, I think when people are spending all day sitting at home, they're quite happy to have conversations with people that ordinarily would have taken months to set up or you'd have to do some travel to, to make happen. So I think that's, that availability has been greater on the part of our customers to a certain extent which has really helped us. I hope that continues. But in terms of what we're doing on our programmes, we're, we're planning for more, more, more virtual events next year. Um, you know, our, our messaging is clearly all around how our technologies can, can support the recovery from you know, the COVID um, situation for, for businesses. Um, and I think if, if you think about what we do, it's all around connectivity and collaboration tools and we, we we fundamentally enable a number of organizations to be able to to work from home um, or f- work remotely rather um, so I think it's certainly given us a, a focus on those sorts of technologies which are really supportive of organizations where they are right now yes there's some transformative kind of future looking um, technologies as well but I think from a marketing perspective at the moment and for the foreseeable, we're focusing much more on those here and now, you know, eight, 12 to 18 month out opportunities and, and less about the three to five year horizon. Okay. And that, it's, it's more unpredictable and than that ever. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a predictability is something none of us are blessed with at the moment. Um, no one's invented a crystal ball yet, but I, you know, I live in hope. 
um, just kind of we're kind of drawing to the end of our time we've got available. So just a few kind of questions closing our last three questions I sent you previously, Mark. Um, you know, our data from our annual census shows that most marketers are still at relatively early stages in their in their kind of use of ABM. Are there any particular bits of advice you'd offer to people who are at that stage, who are, who are still kind of figuring it out and perhaps trialing or, or, or early stage of rollout? What, 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 does, what does success look like for how, how do you make those turn those tentative first steps into success? So I think it's, a, it's a tough one, Joe. I think, yeah, for me, it's very much around understanding why you think ABM is an answer. Yeah, you know, ABM isn't an answer because it's a trend and you're on a bandwagon. You know, it's there to deliver a particular result and outcome for you. As long as you're clear on that, you're clear on objectives. And I guess you're also happy that those um, objectives are not short term. Then I think you can set yourselves up for, for, for success. As I said earlier, I'm a bit of a purist about what I see as ABM, you know, and I, and I think it's not that, and therefore it's not necessarily for everyone. But I think if you're looking at high value customers where there's a small and identifiable market, it absolutely brings value to businesses. But I would say to be really clear on you know on, on, on the focus of the program and why you want to do it. Um, and really, you know, building those insights, understanding those businesses is for me where it starts. Okay. So that's a very, very sensible grounded answer so thank you for that um on a kind of slightly more at the risk of standing asking you a question its response is inevitably going to be a bit trite um you know thinking um we asked you about how to stick successful as a program you know there is there is such a thing as being an abmer now um, so in one word hence the word trite uh, what was it what, what does it take to be a great abmer in your opinion so I thought about this when you sent me the question and I thought about it for about four and a half seconds and I came up with the word tenacity and I thought no further. I thought it's really important that, you know, that, that ABMers have that tenacity in making things happen, you know, tenacity in driving something through with a sales team, working with sales teams day to day, tenacious in understanding customers, you know, and generally just, you know, get the bit between the teeth and really go for something, commit to it for the long term. ABM isn't about that quick fix delivering results, right? It is about delivering value for the business over a longer term. Uh, so, so, so ten- it's tenacity for me. Great John. answer, really, really great answer. Um, so, Mark, as I was just said before, and we, you know, reason the catalyst for this conversation has been fast- fascinating for me is that the fact that you're speaking at our ABM annual ABM conference, which takes place on the fourth and fifth of November. You can find that at if you if you just um, search for uh, Bitly. Uh, sorry, bit.ly slash B2B ABM 2020. I'll repeat that a bit later on. But in the meantime, Mark, perhaps you could just give us a little snapshot about what you'll be talking about. Presumably, hopefully some of the things we've expressed here will be coming into your, your presentation. Anything else you want to just tease us with for your presentation? Yeah, definitely. Look, I've been expanding on some of the conversations we've just had, Joel, really. But I think in short, you know, I'm going to take attendees behind the scenes of our ABM programme talk about the approach we've taken, others as well have taken before my time, you know, and what were the pitfalls and what were the successes of that? Um, I'll also touch a little bit on the exec engagement program, the advocacy program that I referred to, because I think that's critically important how that fits with with ABM. And, um, you know, I hope people go away with a few hints about how to um, implement a program, but also importantly, you know, learn from some of the scars some of us have from what not to do.
when you're building and scaling your programs. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, wonderful that Mark's going to join us then. The dates again, November the 4th and 5th, and the URL where you can get, there are free registrations available where you can get access to a certain amount of the content. But if you want to get the real deal, the full nine yards about everything, um, there is a, a paid for ticket where you can also watch stuff again afterwards. So the place to re- register or to book your tickets is bit. So bitbit.ly slash B2B ABM 2020 or just search for B2B Marketing Conference. We come up on the second or third list, something like that. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your thoughts and insights. Delightful to join. I'm really looking forward to the conference in a couple of months. Well, in a month's Excellent. time. Thank you very much. Hope you, hope you enjoyed listening to this. And please check out our SoundCloud page. We've got lots more podcasts of great, great B2B marketers talking about all aspects of, their, of the wonderful industry we work in. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.